Lords of Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we're getting close to Christmas. Is your inner Grinch coming out as much as mine is? <laughs> I think maybe not as much as yours is. I'm trying to be better about gift giving. So Ben and I have had conversations about this before, but I'm just like really bad at giving gifts. And so Christmas comes with a lot of like guilt for me because I'm not good at like coming up with ideas for people. But then I also have this very hard stance where like, I don't want people to tell me what they want because then I'm like, well, then you could you're an adult. You could just buy it yourself. Like, what's the nice thing about me buying you a gift? You know, so we really are the same person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to, to keep my inner Grinch at bay. How about you? How, how are things for you gearing up to the holidays? I'm doing all right. We got one more week of school to go and then I'm home free and drafting a lot of Vintage Cube, hopefully. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm very excited. I've been cheating on the love of my life. I'll drain with Vintage Cube this week. And so if we check in on that trophy leaderboard, I've got one more MTGO draft, which was a trophy. So I'm up to 71 drafts, 145.65 overall record, 19 trophies and a 69% win rate. Yeah, I've got a few more drafts this week of Eldraine, 197, 391 to 180 win loss record, 62 trophies, 68% win rate. And if we check in on best of one arena, I have drafted up a storm. I've probably done like 25 or so arena drafts have gone from bronze to plat one, almost diamond. Didn't quite have enough time to get to diamond. Um, So I'm now 37 total arena drafts, 154 to 95 overall record, seven trophies and a 62% win rate. Yeah, I think this is the first time ever I'll be reporting in and having the same number of drafts as you in a format. I have 37 drafts as well on arena best of one. I only did seven this week. I was slacking. Uh, So total 169 to 96, eight, you know, quote unquote trophies, seven X wins and a 64% win rate. Yeah, and I think you and I have both had a chance to do a few vintage cube drafts. We actually drafted together last night on stream, drafted a trophy, and I've done a couple other two ones. And I witnessed the sweetest deck of all time that you had. It was like this fast bond, strip mine, wasteland, recur your lands, crush your opponent's soul deck. Yeah. So if uh, if folks are interested in diving into the vintage cube, you know, I think some of the issues with the arena bots have maybe driven people to try out Magic Online. Maybe us touting it so much has caused people to, to check it out. And if you're interested in diving into vintage cube, highly recommend it. But if it's your first time, I would recommend maybe watching some YouTube videos, watching some folks stream it like me or Ben, or, you know, there's a lot of other people out there, Caleb, Numat, Gabby, etc. Um, and we also have a Vintage Cube Crash Course episode. I believe it's episode 25. Is that right? That sounds right to me. And we've got a couple other Cube episodes out there as well, one with Caleb. So mm-hmm. a couple of people have asked in chat in stream, like, what can I do if I want to draft Vintage Cube? Like, would definitely recommend checking out those podcast episodes. Oh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't also recommend Team J Bro, SEG, uh, con cube draft winner and also just like he's always at the top of the cube trophy leaderboards and he's a great streamer as well but uh, so there's a lot of great resources out there and vintage cube is a ton of fun Um, so if it's something you're interested in checking out there are resources for you to do so all right so the reason we're talking about our arena best of one record is we're going to be talking about the newest iteration of the bots it's probably the final iteration of the bots for eldraine as far as we'll know so when eldraine comes back in the future after theros comes out i imagine it'll be the same sort of iteration of the bots and so So we'll talk about sort of the brief update and what our experience has been there. And then we're going to dive into some uh, discussions with Brian Sachs on his own bot that he has uh, designed. So we have a really sweet interview with him about all of those things. But before we get into any of that, 
got some housekeeping to do. Talk about the Lords of Limited Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. Of course, the show will always be free, but we got some perks for you. If you want to give back to the show, you get access to the Lords of Limited Discord. You can get access to our show notes in advance of the episode coming out. You can get access to our spreadsheets where we have all of our draft logs and uh, deck picks. You can get access to a private section of the Discord with you know, direct access to me and Ben. All those goodies are available for you on our Patreon page if you want to go check that out. And we want to shout out our new patrons each and every week. This week, we'll be welcoming to the fold Reach, Stefan, James, Fabio, Cody, and Seth. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough and cannot say thank you enough to the Discord as usual. Love you all. You're great. All right. So, Ben, I'm going to let you, Mr. I did like 25 drafts of arena, sort of take the reins of this discussion here. And I'm going to just pepper in my thoughts as well as we uh, as we move through what you've got going for us. Yeah, you outlined some general stuff here. And I, I completely agree. This format feels extremely different on arena than it does on MTGO or against humans. And it's kind of a bummer because I really do think this format has a bad rap. I, I still stand by the fact that this format is the goat mm-hmm. draft format on MTGO and it is nowhere close to that on arena. I mean, it just actively feels significantly worse on arena. And I don't know how they managed to do that quite so much. Well, I think how open it feels on Magic Online or in paper is one of the reasons you and I think it's the greatest format of all time. And you just can't do that with, I think, the current way the bots are designed or whatever. Like, there's always going to be some sort of exploit. And it was Merfolk Secret Keeper for the longest time, it felt like. And now that's nowhere to be found, really, or it's really hard to be found based on how they've adjusted things. But then a new hole opens up. And so it just becomes about like navigating yourself into a handful of decks, whereas What's so fun and so great about this format in general is how open and free and creative you can be with it. Right, absolutely. And so one of the other things you've got here is that just blue-green and blue-green multicolor good stuff is really hard to do on Arena because the bots take rares and uncommons and good cards so highly. Right, one of the things we talk about about that deck is like, you know, once you feel like you've navigated your way into blue-green for pack two, if you see a Merrileaf Pixie, you can almost always rely on it wheeling if it's in the first few picks like getting that pick 9 10 or 11 isn't the craziest thing because it's so hard for anyone else who isn't blue green to want that card but on arena that card's never making its way around the table no matter what right so in general right now i would say the name of the game with the bots is that naya is really uh exploitable Mm -hmm. so that'd be like white red and green colors so we just got a list of cards that are undervalued here for red seven dwarves ferocity of the wilds weaselback red cap Raging Redcap, Redcap Raiders, and Rimrock Knight all go very late. For green, I think you want to be either the like one drop plus Halbert style deck or be a bigger mid-range green deck with card advantage. Seems like here you're a little lower on the like Wildwood Tracker, Merrileaf Rider, Rosethorn Halberd, Ginger Brute Life. But those cards, I think, consistently wheel. Like you can get Brutes, Halberds, and Trackers super, super late. Yep, agree. And I would add Two Unveil Tree Folk, Insatiable Appetite, and Garenbrig Carver, that list of, of green undervalued cards. Mm-hmm. And then if we take a look at White, Fairy Guide Mother, Youthful Knight, Silver Flame Ritual, Silver Flame Squire, Flutter Fox, occasionally All That Glitters all really go late. So a lot of cheap, aggressive cards are going late. And I think that results in several things. So the more bot drafts I've done, initially I was thinking, well, you just always get pushed into red-green. And my first few drafts were all red or red-green. I don't necessarily think that's the case 
anymore, having done more drafts. I feel like the bot personalities are there a little bit more now, or the talk I've heard about the bot personalities. Like, I feel like there are drafts where you can draft blue because whatever, maybe that blue bot personality isn't at the table. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, most of the time you can't draft black, but like one out of every 10 drafts or something, you can draft black. But in general, these Naya colors are undervalued. So if I'm going to be pushed into white, I really want to be super low to the ground aggro. So my current hot take about white is that Beloved Princess is the new healer's hawk. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that that seems like a pretty flaming hot take to me. So I walked into Kyle Rose's stream and I said that and he was like, yeah, I think you're right. He, he was drafting a, a white aggro deck as well. So the these aggro mirrors... I think there's there's a several things that get exacerbated. So a lot of times you are playing aggro mirrors and your opponents and you always all have the adventure combat tricks. So Silver Flame Squire, Garenbrig Carver, and Rimrock Knight. Mm. And so being the person that's attacking is really powerful because then you're the one that gets to leverage your adventure combat tricks better. And I think Beloved Princess specifically works very well with those adventure combat tricks and putting counters on it via Silver Flame ritual and or even you know like the four mana artifact i don't even know what it's called it's so bad weapon rack weapon rack yeah i think beloved princess is real in those mirrors because it it makes it difficult for your opponent to willingly race and i think cards like that are powerful but really ardenvale tactician i want to have before i'm interested in drafting white on arena so i think of the aggro decks white wants to be the most low to the ground that makes sense and then red is generally pretty good but i want the bigger red cards i've not had a ton of success with going all in on red aggro so like weaselback red cap rimrock knight that sort of stuff like super low to the ground i've had a lot more success with mid-range and i think seven dwarves is actually better than rimrock knight in my pick order on arena because you can so often get you know three to seven dwarves on arena pretty easily and i think those drafts it's not every draft but I think it's more than 50% of drafts. I think if you wanted to go in on seven dwarves, you could. Mm -hmm. And I think Rimrock Knight is very good. But in Arena, you're you're playing these aggro mirrors so much that Rimrock Knight goes down in value a little bit since it can't block. Because if you're the person that gets behind, your Rimrock Knights are so bad. Right. So we're talking about this all in the framework of best of one. I think that's all you and I have been playing is, is the, the ranked ladder, which is only best of one on Arena. And so you don't get the opportunity to like, you know, swap out the Rimrock Knights like we were talking about in our sideboarding episode, if you're going to be on the draw against aggro decks or whatever. But also play versus draw just matters so, so much especially now like you know when it was secret keeper mirrors it wasn't that big of a deal not that i think that that was as big of a representation of the meta as maybe people were making it out to be but you know if it's all now aggro mirrors which i do sort of think it is even though it's different flavors of whether you're white red or green or whatever that it's mostly aggro mirrors being on the player of the draw is a huge deal yeah another thing about red i think red cap raiders plays pretty well in the current meta it's just bigger than most things especially if it's attacking as a four three trample and i think it wears you know a lot of the cards that wear the two and veil tree folk plus two plus two counters are good mm -hmm. in the current metagame because you can get two to three tree folks very easily. And I, I have found the most success with red when I have Ferocity of the Wilds. And if I don't have Ferocity of the Wilds, my deck feels pretty bad. Yeah, Ferocity and Banner to a lesser extent have felt really important, especially in red aggro decks. Like just being able to get the, the plus one, plus O on, you know, your one, two double strikers or getting to turn your dwarven mine one ones into like real threats like all that makes your deck have a lot more punch and then you had mentioned in green the 
ginger brute, you know, rose thorn halberd life with wildwood tracker and things. That's a deck and you can certainly draft that deck. I think people know that it's there though and are prepared for it. And I think it's so one dimensional that if people know that it's happening and are prepared for it, a lot of times that deck doesn't have a lot of legs. So I've been having more success trying to beat that deck. And when I'm green going a little more mid range, like I think Fierce Witchstalker is just absolutely insane yeah. in the metagame right now. And I think it's much better than Outmuscle, like as far as pick orders on Arena go. I agree. Just because it it says like your opponent can't aggro you out is just such a threat. Um, and I've I've had a lot of success just with two in Veil Tree Folk. You know, a lot of times that's a three for one in cards sometimes because your opponent has to trade two smaller creatures. Just going a little more mid-range or big with green or red-green specifically, I think, is where I want to be with green right now on Arena. Yeah, and you can see the theme among all of the things we're talking about with each color is commons. Like, we're really interested in exploiting what commons are going late or that you can consistently get your hands on like one of the reasons that fierce witch soccer is so good is because you can consistently get it i mean not like late in the pack but that it is a reason to get into green and that it's so very much like trounces the rest of what the decks are trying to do i mean when you're in a green aggro deck what do you end up with like one copy of out muscle maybe Right. So like it's just so hard to get that card off the battlefield easily. And so just some general overall tips, tricks. I think being on the play matters a lot. So practice your die rolling. <laughs> um, but, but even more than that, cheap interaction, cheap removal that can flip the script on who's ahead or who's the beatdown is really important. I think red cap melee might be one of the best cards on arena right now because so many people are playing red. And the fact that it's one mana just really lets you turn who's the beatdown around. And I think that's really important, especially if people are trying to mize with enchantments and adventure creature pump. Like I've had a lot of success, you know, just knowing that Garenberg Carver, Silver Flame Squire and Rimrock Knight are key cards. And I think you just are supposed to play like your opponent has those cards mm -hmm. because they do. They do. And if you can take damage and wait and set up a turn where you can block, force them to use their thing and then blow them out, I've won a lot of games that way on Arena just by leveraging the knowledge that I know my opponent has those cards and knows they want to use them and try to have instant speed interaction and set it up to where I can use my instant speed interaction to those scenarios just keep coming up over and over and over again. Yeah, so two, I think, sort of levels about drafting with the bots right now. I think level one is, you know, navigating yourself into one of these aggressive decks in the Naya colors. And then I think level two is thinking about that being a, pretty big share of the metagame. And then how do you combat that? Well, trying to not put super low impact cards into your deck that are like all in aggro, like Halberd, like Ginger Brute, like Weaselback Redcap, like try and maybe go over the top of them with stuff like a Fierce Witch Stalker, like we talked about, or Garen Brig Paladin, things that are really hard to get off the battlefield. And then valuing interaction and removal, especially because people are, you know, playing those adventure combat tricks or trying to like slap a rose thorn halberd or all the glitters onto something. So being able to go, okay, well, I can take this chunk of damage here and then untap and be able to interact with either a runaway together if you're in blue or having a searing brush to take the thing off the battlefield, that sort of thing. I think the, the biggest thing that's changed for me since the beginning was early was my mentality was, okay, I've got to draft these aggro decks. And now I'm more willing to take you know, rares or blue cards or black cards. And sometimes you get the draft or you get to draft those other things. And that's really powerful mm -hmm. because then, you know, most other people are going to be doing this Naya life. And then sometimes you're going to take flyers on those cards and you get pushed into Naya anyway. But the Naya decks are so functional uh, on the commons and the removal that you end up with a good version of those aggro decks anyway, if you get funneled into those decks by the bots. So just being willing early in pack one to try to stay open, to try to give yourself outs, to do some other thing because you do get to sometimes, but then just 
when you get funneled in an IAP, know that's where you're getting funneled and know the best builds. And so for white, I think it's super low to the ground and red and green, a little more aggressive mid-range is how I would characterize them. Yeah, great. Go forth and get your seven wins, get those gems, rack them up on arena. Booyah. All right. And now we're going to bring on Ryan Sachs to give us his take on his bot and how he's managed to make that and why he thinks he's doing a great job. All right, welcome back to the show for the third time, the only returning guest to Lords of Limited, Ryan Sachs. Ryan, how's it going? Good. I'm starting to lap people. Yeah. Other (laughs) other guests have to get back on. (laughs) Yeah, no one stands a chance right now. And exactly a year ago today, we figured out, how's that feel? Long time. Feels real good. That that last episode is... uh... I, I really enjoy it. You know, I, I actually, it's, it's one of those things that I feel like I learn from listening to. If I ever forget some of my old advice, a lot of it's in there. So I um. quote that, uh, <laughs> like building your deck with optimism thing all the time. It has really infiltrated all of my, uh, my drafting styles. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of like personal and human tendency sort of goes against that. Right. Uh, but it, but it's more of a, that that's going to hinder you. So I, I definitely love that. Uh, that segment as well. All right. Well, we are obviously huge fans of yours, or we would not have you back on the show multiple times. But for folks who perhaps have not listened to your previous episodes or know your other magic content, why don't you give you a little quick elevator pitch about uh, about what you do in the content creation world? Uh, sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Ryan Sachs. I've been uh, writing limited content for StarCityGames.com for over three years now, which is uh, pretty crazy. Um, write two articles a week, usually one on Tuesday, one on Thursday, and they're all about limited. I don't even play constructed. My hands, uh, I like to say, too small to shuffle 60 cards. I don't know how you do that. I have a hard time writing an article for Cardsphere every other week. Two articles <laughs> a week is pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, it's it, you, you sort of, it was it was a little bit difficult at first, to be honest, um, but you get in the swing of things. Like I have my like, uh, at every format, there's like sort of the same kinds of articles that you write, but in a different lens. And mm-hmm. you sort of just like get used to your templating and how it how it flows uh, in and out. But sometimes it can be really difficult, especially near the end of a format. Yeah, it does. I mean, I thankfully really, really like Throne of Eldraine. We've talked about that before, but this has been quite a stretch of like having to pump out content about this format. We're going on what, like three months now? Well, it probably feels exacerbated by the fact that the prior sets were all like two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, we had like six sets come out this summer. Yeah, this summer was exhausting. All right. So we're going to dive into the meat of why we want to have you on this episode. Ryan, what have you been working on lately? So uh, for those who aren't aware, although if you follow me on Twitter, you probably know, I've been working on a my my own draft bot. Just it doesn't play the game, but it can... You know, given the picks that you've taken and the pack in front of you, uh, what card should you take? And sort of an artificial agent uh, attempting to answer that question. And what spurred you to do this? Like, why were you inspired to make your own bot to draft magic cards? I guess what I, what I do professionally, uh, I'm, a, I'm a data scientist at Pepsi. And so I, I really like having personal projects that intersect with my career because it sort of it. it they Luigi ladder off of each other, right? I get better at this personal project and I get better at my job and then I get better at this personal project and I get better at my job, so on and so forth. But the the real main motivation was the arena bots for Eldraine specifically. I think this is, you know, the the worst that we've seen them. And maybe that's not particularly true. I mean, we, there are the examples of Gates uh, in previous and then there's, what, what, what was that card called? Disinformation campaign that they would oh, never take yeah. and things like that. But if I'm remembering correctly, we don't really see people leaving the game. And I feel like every time I open Twitter, there's someone that's just like saying that they're done drafting or that they hate draft now. And 
you know, this is the largest delta we've ever seen between an arena format and a Magic Online format, enough that I actually wrote an article about sort of why, why that would be true in the fact that the way that bots take cards drastically impact the pool of cards that you play against in, in a way that just homogenizes the entire metagame. And when it's when it's decks that aren't even necessarily fun to play against, especially the mirror like Mill, it becomes completely unenjoyable. So I said, you know, if this is what I do professionally, let's see what I can do. Can I make my own bot that is going to perform better than the arena bots? Um, and that's hard to quantify. Um, but I think my goals for this bot specifically because because of this uh, was one, I wanted to keep it simple. I didn't want to do something super crazy uh, with a lot of high computational power and complex additions because I wanted to say, okay, like what is reasonable for people to do in a reasonable amount of time and get implemented on something like Arena? And I also wanted to make it transparent. So what, what that means is I wanted to be able to look in and see why the bot was making decisions. In this field, in AI and machine learning, uh, most people have heard of the term black box. And a black box, what it means is that you can't see into what the algorithm is doing. The algorithm takes in your input and it gives you an output. It tells you what you're doing, right? It tells you what to pick, but you don't really understand why that's the correct pick. And it was very important for me in creating this to be able to delve into this algorithm and see why it would make that pick. And so when you say machine learning, is your bot over time as it reads more and more and more draft logs, is it getting better at navigating them? The answer is yes and no, right? <laughs> uh, so right now, for example, the, the logs that we might go over on this show or the logs that I did on my stream, it's not learning anything from those because I'm not telling it to, right? So, you know, this, this algorithm... There, there are pieces in it where it, when it when you give it a data point, you can then take where it made mistakes and have those uh, those mistakes. It's called backpropagation. Go backwards through the algorithm and figure out what pieces of it it can change to not make those mistakes. And I, I don't currently do that, but I have um, a data set that I can't really talk about that has a very large quantity of drafts. And so that data set is where it's getting, where it's learning from, that machine learning is coming in. But as it's getting new drafts, um, no, it's it's not updating itself, but it could if I wanted to. Um, but I would need a larger quantity. One draft isn't going to make much of a difference. So do you have to give it a pick order and it goes from that? Like how, what are the sorts of parameters you're able to give it to allow it to inform itself of what sort of factors go into making a pick at any point in a draft? Um, so while that sounds like a simple question. Oh no, I, I realize it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so basically to get a little bit more into the nitty gritty without, without too much math. Machine learning, when it boils down to it, is all matrix multiplication. You know, I'm not, I'm, no need to get into that specifically. But what what I did is I I did initialize it with what I would call an understanding of archetypes. And that wasn't something that I inputted. I actually used a machine learning algorithm to initialize my actual machine learning algorithm. So we would all agree, I think, in Eldrain has about 15 archetypes, right? Right. Each of the color pairs and monocolored decks. So what I did was I used a clustering algorithm, which is a kind of machine learning algorithm meant to find um, patterns within a data set. And I told that algorithm, all right, here are all of the, the draft pools. Okay. And I want you to find 15 unique clusters. I want you to chunk the data into 15 sets based on, you know, the differences between these draft pools. Then what I want you to do is take those chunks and learn a pick order for those chunks. 
Okay, so I took each draft that was in, and and it actually, you know, I think it missed maybe one of the monocolored decks in this, you know, which got which gets corrected for later. But it really, because because people have such a strong preference in in exploring this data, people have such a strong preference towards black green food. It's insane. It learned two different food clusters, I think, because there were like a one that was more food and one that was green black general. Um, But anyways, that that's not super important. From there. What I did was I said, okay, let's look at each of these drafts that are in each cluster. Let's look at the middle of pack two onwards, because at about that point, these drafts should have solidified archetypes. And then I said, okay, you know, let's learn a pick order for these clusters. Now, that's not actually going to get you good performance, right? Because that doesn't tell you how to navigate a draft. That tells you, okay, assuming you're in this archetype, what, what is your pick order? Mm -hmm. But the reason that I thought this was important was because if I initialize my bot with this understanding, it can navigate towards the archetype that it should be in. So the math is simple. It is, okay, you now have this ranking within each archetype. Your draft pool, the cards that you've taken so far, each of them have a value within every single archetype. So if you take your draft pool, all the cards that you've taken are going to bias you towards different archetypes based on how good they are where. For example, if the bot starts with Mad Ratter, you can see when you look into the bot that the blue-red archetype, you know, like the bias towards that archetype, is much higher than all of the other red archetypes, and the red archetypes are higher than the other archetypes. And so as you take more cards, the bot is leaning different ways to figure out what the best archetype it should be in is. And to be a little bit more specific, it's not like, oh, Mad Ratter, so, you know, let's use the blue-red prioritization. It's saying, okay, you have some, you, you want to be blue-red and you want to be red-black and you want to be red-green. So so you want to take red cards over other cards. So it's still going to bias towards red over the blue, even though your strongest bias is towards blue-red. And like, you'll still take a really strong black card over an okay red card until you have enough cards such that that bias to that archetype is strong enough that it's really not going to consider other colors. And so ultimately, it's trying to navigate towards these clusters that you taught it. Actually, there, there's something that I should be a little bit more specific about. These these clusters, it's, it's what's called an initialization. So what that pick order that it learns in those clusters is not the final representation inside the model. For example, in the blue-red... Uh, vector in the blue red thing that it learns it's going to have all of the blue and red rares above mad ratter initially right for for that clustering initialization however what the actual model learns is going to have mad ratter above most of the blue and red rares and the reason for that is that the blue and red rares are going to be high up in every single blue and red understanding and because it's trying to figure out which one to be, it's still going to prioritize, you know, Gadwick and Opportunistic Dragon over Mad Ratter for the most part, because even when you're blue, you're, you're blue red, you still have some bias from the other red and the other blue archetypes, if that makes sense. So you initialize it with a pick order, but it doesn't operate on a pick order. It uses that pick order so that it can learn how to navigate a draft. And then that pick order gets morphed into sort of an abstract understanding of what that archetype is supposed to do. You know, for example, the green-white 
abstract understanding has like Edgewall Innkeeper and Mysterious Pathlighter and Wandermare really high. And that's because they're low, you know, like Mysterious Pathlighter and Wandermare are going to be best there, but really low in other archetypes. So they have to be at the highest point so that they're taken highly when you're strongly biased towards green light. So the other characteristic trait you have here written in our show notes, besides being initialized with an understanding of archetypes, is exploration of staying open with decay over time. Can you talk about that briefly? Sure. So I think we all, everybody listening to this podcast is going to have an understanding of what it means to stay open. A lot of the work that I've done towards this bot is about taking these concepts that we know from you know drafting and the, the different theory and discussions that we've had and turning them into math <laughs> because the, the computer isn't going to understand what it, when I tell it stay open. I need to actually describe that in math for the computer to, to be able to follow. And so I think we what we all basically understand about staying open is that there's there's some time you're not trying to be open in pack three right? Like that, that's not how that works. The idea of staying open is, you know, if you first pick Mad Ratter, you're not blue red, right? You have a pull away from this bias. I've been using the word bias towards our pool. And what, what I describe staying open is, is opposition to that bias. In the beginning of a draft, you're going to draft card, you know, card after card after card. And it's important to tell the bot, to stay open. Otherwise, it's going to narrow in really, really hard. And sometimes it's still going to do that, especially when it starts with a rare. But for the most part, what this means is I elevate the base of sort of the cards that it hasn't drafted. So I say, okay, for pack one, pick two, you have one card, but just because you don't have any card for uh, red, white doesn't mean that you shouldn't take this, you know, red, white, gold card. So uh, I allow it to sort of still not bias as strongly at the beginning. And then it learns how this opposition to bias decays across the draft. So what it what it learns is that around near the end of pack one, this opposition has decayed to zero. And now it's really just looking at the pool to make decisions. And it can still deviate. Actually, one thing that I thought was funny that it learned because of people is it this decay that I'm talking about, it actually spikes at pack two pick one and pack three pick one because people like taking rares. So uh, what it was trying to figure out was it was like, okay, I mean, clearly there's this push towards an archetype, but also specifically at pack two pick one and pack three pick one, let's throw that out the window so that we can <laughs> still take the rare not in our colors. And, and, and a lot of my job in creating this bot is exploring when it's doing that. And what, what it's doing there is it's, that's called overfitting in, in this space. It is learning something that isn't necessarily the correct way to navigate, but how the the data set is telling it to navigate. And then I need to put extra restraints so it doesn't spike in those different places, so on and so forth. So your bot is just a filthy rare drafter. <laughs> it, 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 well, so it rare drafts specifically, for example, it wouldn't rare draft at pack two, pick two, which I think is very funny, but it would rare draft at pack two, pick one. And, and the reason for that is just because, again, the, the, this bot is ingesting data and it's trying to figure out the best patterns for making the picks as close to the humans made picks in this data set. And so there's a lot of data that says, you know, at, when you open a pack, there's always going to be a rare and people keep taking the rare, whether or not it's in the color. So it actually models this by saying, okay, but we have this decaying function, but in pack two, pick one, in pack three, pick one, we're actually going to be fully open. You know, we're, we're still staying open in pack three, pick one, but not pack three, pick two. <laughs> I, I, again, so I, uh, one of the next things that I plan on doing since I discovered this recently is to, you know, put a stronger restriction on that decay so that it actually lets itself be incorrect 
from the data set because those aspects of the data set aren't correct for actually navigating the game. And so just to clarify something, you you have not at any point like told it Scorching Dragonfire is the best red common. No. There's no, nothing like that going into it? Absolutely not. No, I, I don't. I, I mean, I've been tempted when it's like really wrong sometimes. Like there, there are certain things that it's that I know this bot is never going to get based on the data. For example, it's never going to take Ardenvale Tactician as highly as I want. It's always going to take Inquisitive Puppet higher than I want. And <laughs> okay. And, and yes, I could input, like I could just force it to have Inquisitive Puppet be valued at zero. But that's that's disingenuous in my eyes to the the goal that I'm trying to accomplish here. And so the goal is not to make a bot that like drafts the best. Like you're not trying to make a bot that drafts like you, right? You're trying to make a bot that drafts like general humans. Well, I mean that that's an open question, right? If uh, right now I would argue the bot drafts more like general humans than if I were to add that extra restriction on staying open Mm -hmm. because it did learn to be able to rare draft. In fact, one of the things that I could probably do is if I let it look at rarity, it would no longer learn this spike in pack two pick one and pack three pick one and instead learn to higher value cards of specifically rare and mythic because people do that. Right now, actually, my bot doesn't take in any features other than the card names, really. I mean, this, this clustering sort of incorporates color and archetypal understandings that you get does incorporate CMC, but I don't specifically tell it to look at those uh, when it's making decisions. But the whether the goal has to do with, you know, drafting the best versus drafting more like a human, I think one of the beautiful things about designing a magic draft bot is that's up to the designer. I can do one or the other. Right now, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement, but it's still quite good, right? I've, uh, you know, if you look at my Twitter, you can see a bunch of decks that it's drafted, all of which are pretty reasonable. Some Sometimes it makes picks that I wouldn't have made that on reflection, I think are correct. Um, so it, it's pretty good. And your, your bot has 3-0'd MTGO, right? Yes, yes. My bot has drafted a deck that I took to 3-0 on Magic Online, which I'm very, very proud of. It further proves that you can trophy with a ham sandwich. <laughs> hey, you know, that deck wasn't that bad. No, I'm just messing with you. That's what, for anybody that doesn't know. Like I've always joked about that with Ryan because he always posts these crazy decks that are three O's. It, it is. It is true. I mean, I've definitely I've trophied with much worse decks than the bot's been drafting. That's for sure. One one thing that I will say though is right now I'm trying to optimize it for drafting the best way possible, not necessarily drafting like humans. But I guess let me let me clarify that a little bit more. I'm not trying to design the bot for the highest accuracy according to my data set. I'm not trying to get it to take ev- like to have no understanding and take just the card that's most likely to be correct. Uh, that's why I wanted to put a focus on transparency. I want the bot to be able to explain why it made a decision. Um, and that often comes at a cost of accuracy. Um, I don't let it learn something that isn't human interpretable, um, or at least I try. And so my goal here is to create a bot that can navigate a draft in an intelligible way and along, so if I were to sort of look into how it's making its decisions, it would be interpretable from my standpoint as to why it made those decisions. That was my next question is, are you able to know looking at like, you know, pack one, pick four, when it makes some pick that you don't agree with, like, let's say it takes inquisitive puppets super highly, are you able to then look and see like, well, it's colorless, it's cheap, or what, like, what are the factors that make it want to take that card there where you think that's wrong? Basically, when it makes an incorrect pick or, or a repeated incorrect pick that like really uh, it shouldn't be making, um, I delve into 
the math and figure out why. The initial implementation of this bot took colorless cards way too highly. Uh, and this is where this sort of inquisitive puppet thing comes up, which it actually doesn't take that highly anymore. The reason for this, is you've, as I've sort of said, is um, right. it has an understanding of every single archetype, right? And it models a pick based on the bias towards each archetype, based on the picks that you've that you've taken. The reason why I've took it, I, I designed it with that approach is because it actually then will properly model taking colorless cards earlier because colorless cards are going to be prevalent in every single archetype. Like Scalding Cauldron is in the middle of the pack, but it's in the middle of the pack for every archetype, which means when you don't have a strong bias towards any given archetype and it's looking at what to pick across all archetypes, it's going to take Scalding Cauldron much higher. Hmm. However, initially, this was just too high. You know, there was a point where I was a black deck and it took Scalding Cauldron over Sir Conrad, and I was like, okay, something's wrong. And I knew something was wrong because I knew it took Sir Conrad really highly. And this is where I added that sort of decaying of staying open factor, where I wanted it to understand, okay, no, 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 after some period of time, like you need to lessen how much you're looking at other archetypes. Um, not just based on your bias, based on this decay. And the way I figured that out was I basically did some math. I looked into the matrices and I said, okay, Scalding Cauldron is here. This all makes sense. But when you're adding this together, it gets super inflated super quick, right? And so that's uh, that's an example of this transparency where I can say, all right, this is how it abstract under abstractly understands every single archetype. This is the pool that it had, and this is the matrix multiplication that it uses to make a pick. Oh, I can see, wow, colorless cards. Look at that. Like all the colorless cards went to the front of the pack, and that's not how it should work. How do I introduce math to fix that? And I do this sort of iteratively over and over and over again as uh, as I learn from the bot's mistakes, and I can introduce more restriction, more structure, more math to make it better and better and better as I continue to to grow my logic. And so you don't have necessarily, but it is drafting decks, but sort of just because the data set you gave it were drafts where people were drafting decks, right? And people are taking things like curve and you know mana cost into consideration. Because I think one of the common complaints about the arena bots, and obviously we don't know what the arena bots are doing, but is that the, the bots don't draft decks. Like the, they probably have some sort of pick order that they can change, which is why each iteration of the bots feels so drastically different from the next like right now you wheel all of the seven dwarves and all the flutter foxes and whatever so your bot does end up with a curve yeah yes but i don't let it look at the cmc of cards which is why i think it's interesting it was actually one of my biggest concerns and i think i don't remember if it's aaron forsyth but somebody mentioned that uh you know the arena bots draft two color decks but they're they're, they're not really decks as we know them and that's one of the reasons why i'm confident that you know my, my bot is an improvement upon those because as you can see all of my decks have a reasonable curve none of them just like don't have two drops or anything like that and that's that's because if you want to think about it this way if you think of a random two drop what's it merrily frider for example that's a good card and you know maybe garenbrig paladin i think is a better card right like and if we're talking talking on card by card power but because you know the data set is people and people understand that you can't have infinite copies of five drops inherently the bot sort of learns this. The bot learns that it should be skewing towards not cheaper cards because it doesn't actually know that they're cheaper, right? Like I don't tell it that Merrily Frider is 2CMC. Yeah. But it learns to that across the set of archetypes to bias towards cheaper cards better because that's sort of what people do. So because you're not telling it like 
you know, Scorching Dragonfire is the best red common or Sir Conrad is the best uncommon or anything like that. Can you basically take the same bot for the next set and like do the same thing where you, you know, teach it to learn clusters of whatever the new set has to offer? Maybe it's only 10 clusters instead of 15. But then can it use a lot of what it's learned for this set for future sets? That's a that's something I'm very excited to explore. And I don't know yet. I'm excited to to check it out for the next set, which is uh, Theros. Beyond death, right? Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah. But right now, so th- that that concept is called transfer learning. Um, it's a well-established, you know, field in machine learning where you take a model that you know existed in the past or is trained on a different data set, and you want to see how you can incorporate that model to make your current model better. And I'm certainly fascinated about applying that to magic. One of the reasons why, again, I think transparency is very important in this bot is it lets me to actually look at certain things. Um, for example, this uh, this decaying structure that it learns for uh, for staying open, I imagine that's going to be fairly similar across formats. So we can initialize the decaying structure for staying open for Theros Beyond Death in the same way that we do it for Eldraine. Now, that's going to change, but the important thing is um, there's been a lot of research in machine learning that shows that like really clever initializations help drastically if, if you really get them right. So as, as this bot gets applied to format across format across format, and we can use aspects of it to properly start correctly with other formats, it could certainly improve performance and help it learn more nuanced things. But I, I don't have any example of that because I haven't really uh, implemented this for other formats. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, let's get into it. Let's let's dive into uh, a Ryan bot draft. I, I can't wait. So you took your bot for a spin on stream recently. I, I did. It was uh, I was I was so nervous. And there was one draft. There was one draft on there that went real bad. Um, <laughs> I don't know if uh, there was there was a point where it was mono green and it would not pass a spore cap spider to save its life. Like <laughs> it was taking spore cap spiders over rares, over out muscles, over everything. And I had no clue what was going on. And actually, this is a good example of this sort of transparent thing. When I delved into this matrix, I, I learned that the mono green representation that it learned was complete garbage and had Spore Cap Spider in the top 10 cards in the set. Now, how that happened, I'm not entirely sure. My best guess is that mono green wasn't particularly well uh, represented in the data set. And what it learned was, okay, Spore Cap Spider is really, really low on all on green red, on green white, on all of the different green archetypes, but people take it, so we'll, you know, increase it on the mono green axis because when people have green cards, they still take this card. Anyways, I, I was able to fix that specific issue, to be clear, by providing a cap on bias. So the reason that happened was because this was one of the examples where it had literal, like even the last picks in pack one and pack two were green. So it had no cards of any color other than green, which meant that it strongly biased towards this mono green vector that was wrong. So it was taking green cards in the wrong order. Mm. And it would have still looked at other green archetypes if I put a cap on how strongly it could possibly bias towards one archetype. And uh, once I did that, this issue sort of stopped. But uh, yeah, I, I took this, this, this bot's done about eight drafts. One of the things that I'm really proud is that it hasn't repeated an archetype yet. So it, it's actually drafted eight different archetypes 
Um, you know, some of them are similar. Like there was a mono green deck and there was a green black deck that was like much more green than black. But overall, uh, it demonstrates that it's like not it's not just exploiting some, you know, oh, it only learned how to draft green black, right? It it knows how to navigate a draft. All right. So we're going to take a look at a bot draft here from Ryan. This this is an MTGO draft that, that Ryan's bot was navigating in real time on stream. And Ryan was making the picks that the bot made. So if we sit down here, pack one, pick one, you see the following cards as options. So no top commons really in the pack. Best common here is probably Merchant of the Veil. Vale. And then if we take a look at uncommons, Fairy Vandal sticks out, and then we luckily got two foil rares here, or one, I guess you don't get two foil rares. We got a foil rare and a regular rare. So we've got Return of the Wild Speaker and Oathsworn Knight hanging out. So really, I mean, you're narrowing out Merchant of the Veil pretty quickly, and you're trying to decide between Fairy Vandal, Return of the Wild Speaker, and Oathsworn Knight. Yeah, I think, Ben, you and I are lower on Return of the Wild Speaker than most of the world, so I'm not really looking at that card. Though I don't, I'm not mad to like first pick it, I just think it's... I don't know. I have it sort of as like C plus B minus range, whereas I think Oathsworn Knight and Fairy Vandal are like solid Bs for me. They're both really close. I think it might like depend on what deck I was, you know, looking to draft or maybe what I just played if I wanted to like try and deviate into something else. But I think there's something tempting about, you know, you take Oathsworn Knight, you're not really passing much good black. There's a Forever Young and a Tempting Witch in the pack. I guess if you take Fairy Vandal, you're only passing Unexplained Vision. I think it's really close. I, I, I might even just like flip a coin here, but I, I do like Oathsworn Knight quite a bit, so I might take that here. I think I'm on Fairy Vandal. This card has really impressed me quite a bit. And Oathsworn Knight, I think, is good when it comes down on turn three and not always great past that. And Fairy Vandal is good at any point in the game. And I think just a good card in blue decks. Don't think it's a blue-red gold card. This is probably why the bot was taking all those Sporecap Spiders. Oathsworn Knight just folds to Sporecap Spider. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree with a lot of what you guys have said. Originally, I thought Return of the Wild Speaker was a bomb until I read it again and saw non-human. And then I realized that like there are a lot of humans in the set and it can do good things and it's good, but it's not as good as I thought it was. The bot does take uh, Oathsworn Knight here, uh, which, which I agree with. I think it is also close between Fairy Vandal, but I, I just think that you know Fairy Vandal can be great. Sometimes it's not. Oathsworn Knight sort of always does what it does. The earliest you put it down, the better. And and I think it's a pretty good way to start a draft. So. All right, bots in on Oathsworn Knight. Point for Ethan and the bot. <laughs> Moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. Searing Barrage sticks out among the commons, Fairy Guide Mother as well, uh, Rare is missing from the pack, and then Uncommon that sticks out as Heraldic Banner. Ooh, you know how I feel about Heraldic Banner, Ben. I know you love it. I love it. It's good in monocolor, good in splishy splash, sort of good in some in-between decks as well. I, I like it here. I mean, there's not anything great to follow up with the uh, Oathsworn Knight, and there really wouldn't be with Vandal as well. Like, are you really going to take a Tome Raider or a Runaway together? So I think I think I'm in for Banner here. Yeah, I think taking those cards like Tome Raider or something here would be a mistake just power level wise, even with the Fairy Vandal. For me, it's between Banner and Barrage. And I think, you know, I don't have anything particularly pulling me in any direction. And I think Banner is probably a higher upside card than Barrage. So I think I would land on the Banner here as well. Yeah, um, I, I also end up on Banner and so does the bot, uh, which is nice here. I will note that uh, the bot had a Burning Yard Trainer above Searing Barrage, if I'm remembering correctly, in its order. And my my gut would say the reason for that is specifically because Oathsworn Knight is, uh, is probably going to pull towards red-black knights in a specific way, that it will have the Burning Yard Trainer over Searing Barrage. But the bot also does take the banner. So wait, does it know like the creature type knight? Ah, so this this again, this, this sort of boils down to the exact same thing as CMC, right? Okay. Right, where like... I don't tell the bot 
that black, uh, black red is knights or black white has knights or anything. But it learns that cards that just so happen to be knights are taken with cards that just so happen to be knights in in those those colors. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that makes total sense. So it seems like just and I have like a, a statement about your bot here. And correct me if this is true or false. So it seems like you've done this in the most hands off way possible. Like there's not a lot of like possibility for you to go in and fiddle with like specific individual things. Like you're having to change broad overarching concepts and sort of live with the results from what your bot takes from those broad overarching concepts. Is that a true statement? I mean, I can change specific things. I just don't want to. I think that's disingenuous to what, like if it can't learn it, then why, uh, then what am I doing, right? Um, the whole purpose of this is to, to let this bot learn what to do and I can fix it in the mediums that I can, but saying, okay, um, I guess let me backtrack a little bit and talk about uh, machine learning for a second. So the way that machine learning works and this specific algorithm uses something called stochastic gradient descent, which essentially all that it means is it's trying to navigate a space. And I don't mean drafting. I mean like the, the space of, uh, you know, how it's learning to figure out like what is this optimal solution to the problem. And it does this by changing the values in all of the matrices that it, that it sort of uses. If I change directly values in the matrix, matrix after that convergence guarantee of finding some solution is no longer guaranteed to be there. So it's generally bad practice for me to go and just like fiddle with the actual values of cards in the matrix. What I can do is I can introduce more explicit structures before training so that it has a more holistic view and can learn in a better way. But I'm not after the fact tweaking things. One thing that I will say is that I did implement, uh, because I thought it was important to do this for, for Arena, this sort of I idea of an archetypal bias. Like right now, the bot specifically has an equal representation of every single archetype. It doesn't have any strong preference towards an archetype. It might have a small one that it learns, but it's not sort of told. And the reason for that is that since that's not a learned vector, I can actually say, okay, what would the bot take if I have it have a stronger bias towards all of the green decks and sort of allow you to sort of generate iterations of the bot that have different archetypal preferences, kind of like the way that Arena works. Very cool. All right. So bot landed on Heraldic Banner as well. So we've now got Osworn Knight Heraldic Banner in the pile. Moving on to pack one, pick three, there's a top common in the pack, maybe even the best one, some might say. Bake into a pie, chill in here, uh, but nothing else really sticks out in commons as far as that. There's a didn't say please and an outflank maybe as the next best commons. And uncommons, not super exciting. There's a Kenris transformation and the bot's nemesis, inquisitive puppet, chilling here. Yeah, when you, when you saw this pack, were you like, please don't take puppet, please don't take puppet? Especially because this was the first uh, live draft that I had done on stream since I had made the update to fix the issue with puppet. I was terrified. I was legitimately terrified. Yeah. Well, I am uh, I'm pleased to announce to our listeners that I think we're all going to land on the same card here. Even the bot uh, scoop up that bake into a pie. Yeah. And worth noting, I would be on bake here even if I had Fairy Vandal. So moving on to pack one, pick four, you see the following cards as options. There's a Vantress Paladin, a Hengewalker, Wishclaw Talisman as the rare in the pack. All three uncommons are missing. So not super exciting commons. And then you got a Wishclaw Talisman chilling out yeah you know i'm a fan of the talisman i think more than most i think even this deep into a format a lot of people still don't really like the card a lot um but i'm i'm pretty happy to be able to pick it up here i mean we don't have anything great to go wish for yet but having the 
bake into a pie already is that's a pretty good thing to go find. Uh, so I, I'd be happy to grab that here. Yeah, same for me. This pack's pretty much a blank, I think. And Wish Claw Talisman's by far the highest upside card. Yep. Uh, and this is another example of like a, it's a straightforward pick, but from like the bot side, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it, it's probably considering Hengewalker in a more capacity than than you might initially think. Mm-hmm. For example, I'm pretty certain. Let's say it had gone Fairy Vandal, Heraldic Banner into Bake. It may end up on the on the Hengewalker there instead of the Wishclaw Talisman. But I'm, I I actually don't know exactly how highly it values the Talisman. Um, but it, but it also did take the Talisman. Uh, not to to get bogged down here too much, but I, I was sort of curious. Pack one, pick three. Do you think if it had taken Vandal, do you think it would still take Bake into a pie there, or would it like? balance out color preferences and grab didn't say please. I'm I'm 100% sure it would take bake. Uh, and and you know maybe if we're talking about a different common uh it, it could take didn't say please but also so I think one the bots lower on didn't say please than it should be. Um and I think that's because people are lower on didn't say please than they should be. And uh people are so high on bacon to a pie that it has it as basically a mythic common. You know, it, <laughs> I don't know if it would have taken Oath Sworn Knight over Bacon to a Pie if Bacon to a Pie was in the pack, pack one, pick one. I mean, we can, I can actually probably answer that question. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if it's based on what people in general are doing, I would not be surprised if Bacon to a Pie were picked there. Yeah. All right. Moving on to pack one, pick five with the following cards in our pile. So we've got the Oath Sworn Knight, the Banner, the Bake, and now Wishclaw Talisman. You see the following cards as options. There's a Reeve Soul. Next best common is probably Prized Griffin or Barrow Witches, and Rare and Two Uncommons are missing. And yet again, we got an Inquisitive Puppet chilling in the pack. What does the bot do? Dodge that Puppet Bullet. Take the Reeve Soul. This is just a draft on easy mode, Ryan. Yeah, th- this draft was a little bit... Uh, the Pack one, um, you know, I'm, I'm always curious what it would have done without the Oathsworn Knight, and maybe, maybe I'll look into that and get back to you guys later. But... Um, the th- this was a an easy draft to navigate at the beginning. There were some there were some interesting, for example, like uh, and maybe maybe we'll get there. Like uh, and this you know sort of shows like pack one pick eleven. It made like a pretty bad pick, uh, but the first six <laughs> picks were the first the first six picks I think were fairly straightforward with a couple different things that you could do for pack one pick one pack one pick two. But three through six are are almost autopilot. Yeah, I mean it's pretty it's. Pretty impressive. It seems to be drafting an actual deck. It's like picking the best cards or like, I don't know, balancing things out with, well, I've already got these things in my pile or I've got, I want to take this colorless card to delay the decision. Like these are impressive things for a robot to do. It, it certainly does. And like uh, one of the reasons why I enjoy, I think this sort of specific log is nice because it actually does show uh, one thing that we do know about the arena bots, or at least that Ryan Spain has talked about, is they're sort of that they they like pretty quickly lock into their colors, or at least mm. that's what they that's what they say. Where like they they try and figure out, okay, they take the best cards until some point, and then given that they pick two colors, and that's what they stick to. I don't know if they still work that way, but that's certainly something that uh, that has been discussed. And the uh, if we if we can, although maybe it'd be really hard to do, the end of pack two is fascinating uh, in the way that this bot navigates, uh, where you know it can see that it's very clearly black and it has made really no decision, and you can see it still taking black cards over better cards of other colors. Uh, for example, pack two, pick three. You know, I think uh, Wicked Guardian is one of the worst cards in the pack. And if we want to go over this, but there's like a Wicked Guardian, it's the bot at this point is mostly mono black. It has like a trapped in the tower 
And I think like a youthful night and a runaway together as far as like non-black cards go. Um, and, you know, I think the correct pick here is probably Ardenvale Tactician, but you're so heavy black that that card does lower in value. Um, you could also argue for taking this Beanstalk Giant, but you can see the way it navigates pack two if we can get into it. It does still bob and weave and doesn't make a decision on the actual color it is until like the beginning of pack three, which I think like I, I love seeing there's another example of a of a draft that this bot did where it's just like taking a bunch of colors in the beginning and sort of seeds itself into white because white is open, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, there's this really interesting part you're talking about at the end of pack two where it's like all right it takes resolute rider pack two pick five but then it takes animating fairy over like forever young or giant skewer so it's like saying okay this is a powerful card then it takes a scalding cauldron next and then it takes keeper of fables over eye collector so like it knows that eye collector is garbage and keeper is good i think that's really interesting i mean yeah there so there are times where you're like and eh, maybe this isn't making optimal picks but then there are times where it's clearly not just like blinders up I'm only taking black cards or only taking white or black cards here. Yeah, exactly. Like the, when there's when there's this huge delta, you know, um, Forever Young is actually a card that it's way higher on than it should be. So I was really worried, pack two, pick six, that it would take that, um, where I think that you could argue for Animating Fairy or Prize Griffin mm-hmm. out of that pack. But yeah, it, it's, it's really nice to see how it sort of navigates where it goes, all right, Fairy, it takes a, a blue card, then a green card, and then it ends up like, getting some white cards at the end of the pack. And those white cards at the end of the, the pack like make a large difference in the increased bias towards white, which allows it to take the better white cards over the worse black cards in pack three, which is sort of how it works like with with uh, with with humans as well. Like if I'm going in pack three and I have like only good black cards, I'm I'm not really gonna be taking other cards of other colors uh at all because I have no reason to think that I should want to play them. Um, but so now that it has like a good number of playable white cards at the end of, you know, it has something like five, four or five playable white cards and resolute rider, which is, you know, if you're going to pair a second color with black, that does, that does increase like a bias towards white. And then it, then it's, it's able to take things like Sir Allen over, over Lockthwain Paladin. And it's able to take uh, this, this flutter Fox over, over a couple other, you know, mediocre black cards and colorless cards. Yeah. And I think worth noting too, for the listeners, like we had a few logs here where they were going through, you know, and all of the logs, Ethan and I almost went pick for pick with the bot in the first, whatever, you know, five, six picks. That's pretty, pretty impressive, Ryan. Thank you. All right. Well, I think that is going to move us towards wrapping up the show. Uh, Is there any place that folks can find you on the interwebs? Uh, Yeah. Uh, The best way to interact with me on the internet is on Twitter at RC Sachs. Feel free to ask me questions about the bot, regular picks, whatever. My life is fine. Also, I will likely at some, probably, hopefully by the time this episode is up, but maybe a little bit later in the week, I'll have the actual code for this bot up. You know, it won't be, you won't be able to use the bot yourself because I can't give access to the data, but uh, you'll be able to see sort of how I programmed it. Well, I'm sure that will make a lot of sense to me. It'll be very easy for me to figure <laughs> that out. <laughs> yeah. And people tweeting at you questions about the bot. I assume you're you're down for that. Yeah. Always happy to answer any questions anyone has about it. And we'll, we'll post these draft logs that Ryan's bot navigated in with where you download the episode. So 
Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. You can check me and Ben out on Twitch and Twitter. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. And you can tweet at both of us on those same usernames or at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody, and thank you again to Ryan for coming on. Catch you next week. didn't say please in an outflank maybe as the best commons oh well scratch that <laughs> all right <laughs> didn't get that far and also over the and the best common <laughs>